0: Our series is called God's Design for Life, and it continues next on Truth For Today. The Design for Life, God's design that is. Hi and welcome to Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. Today, we continue with our series, God's Design for Life, focusing in on people of unity in a world of conflict. It's what sets us apart as believers in Christ. Speaking of unity, it's all part of fellowship, right? Along those lines, we would like you to join us as our special guest, Saturday, June 4th, as we celebrate Truth For Life, Listener Celebration. It's all about you, as we celebrate Truth For Today. Please join us Saturday June 4th at Valley Bible Church in Hercules between 4:30 and 7:30. Fellowship, food, you, Ron Walters, it's all part of the celebration. More details at the close of our program, but for now, let's catch up with Pastor Phil Howard, shall we? For today's broadcast of Truth for Today and God's Design for Life.
1: Changing gears uh, in the book where moving from Ephesians 3, the first three chapters that you ought to be thrilled about because it's everything God's done for you. Uh, Someone said it's been the indicative, which in Greek is matter of fact. All the facts of salvation and what God has done for us has been described in three chapters. And you can almost just lay back and say, just pour it on, Lord, pour it on. You chose me, you predestined me, you redeemed me, you forgave me, but bring it on, bring it on. And now we shift gears and it's gonna go into imperatives in which he's gonna tell you how to act in response to the salvation. And so Paul would often put belief up front, then behavior, A doctrine, then duty. Uh, the wealth of salvation, now the walk of the saved. So he's a major hinge in the book is just now, so you're gonna be hearing all kinds of things about do this, this is how you live the Christian life, this is the way to behave. But he spent three chapters telling you how wonderful it is to be saved and what he's done for us in salvation. And so we now move into the walk of the believer in a fallen world. And so we come to a section, he begins to describe the church's unity. That since Christ has taken Jew and Gentile and formed them into one body and made a new people, a new humanity, God alone can make that. He described it in Ephesians 3. When he brought this new humanity about, saving Jews, saving Gentiles, but then blending them into a new people of which Christ is the head, not Adam. This new humanity. Uh, he's now going to tell us how God wants us to maintain what he created. He created the unity. He put us together. Now how are we to live together in the community of the church? How are we to behave The first thing he picks up is uh, let's maintain this unity by certain attitudes and by believing certain absolutes. There's two parts to unity. There's two parts to maintaining it. One is subjective. What I am to do on my part in my attitude and the way I relate to you. The other part of our unity are seven absolute essential truths that we must hold mutually for it to be true Christianity. So the subjective part, first three verses, the objective facts, we'll look at the second part. So let's begin. As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I like this word worthy, it's the word axios. We get our word axiomatic. Uh, it was sometimes used of a scale to balance something. So he's saying, I want you to live a life that is of equal weight to the wealth of salvation you've been given. I want you to live worthily of the salvation that's been imparted to you. Walk that kind of a life. Not the way you used to live, but you've been called to a new kind of walk because you've got a new kind of life. So walk worthy Of the calling you have received. And that calling is the calling to salvation. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Set of notes in the bulletin, it might help you just to follow along. I thought it gave you something to do besides read the bulletin. Let's begin to look at the attitudes we are to have to maintain the unity. You know, it's interesting. You didn't make your car you were just, if you're smart, you maintain your car, right? It works a lot better when you maintain it. It helps when you put oil in it. And if you would just change the oil at least every 20,000. Some of you, your car is a miracle that it still runs. That's what they used to always say to me about the cars I drove. You've got to maintain things to keep them functional and operational. He's been saying this great theology, you're one, you're one, you're one people in Christ. Now he says, let me tell you how you maintain this in a communal setting, the local church. Uh, first of all, I want you to live in an attitude of humility. The Bible says pride breeds quarrels. Proverbs thirteen ten. Pride is a breeding ground of quarreling. And pride is, I'm always better than the people I'm with. I'm always better than the people I'm with. Uh, Pride is a uh, overestimated view of one's own opinion, one's own worth. Now, you're not to deny your worth. You're not to deny your talents. You're not to deny your value. But when I'm with you, and let's say you excel in something that I don't, Uh, let's say you're the world's finest tennis player and I'm with you, you can uh, estimate your worth all the time you're with me. I am so much beyond this guy in playing tennis. Uh, He's just a flunky on the totem pole. Well, you've used a standard. You've used the standard at which you're the best. And if you always rate yourself by that, you'll always find a way. You're maybe better at something, maybe better at failing. I fail more than any of you. Well, good. But we always want to have an edge. But humility uh, says, I learned to think about myself soberly. Romans 12, 3. I, I praise my gifts and my place. I don't have an overestimated sense of my worth. Uh, according to Philippians 2, 5, I've been commanded to imitate the Savior in the area of humility. Let this attitude constantly be found in you, which was in Christ, who though being equal with God in all ways, humbled or stooped down and took to himself humanity Took the role of a servant and he humbled himself to die even death on a cross. Has nothing to do with how great he is. He's God. But he chose to humble himself, to minister to others, to die, of course. But being very God, he's the model of humility. And if anyone can model pride, strength, arrogance, I'm the best, I've got the most... There's none like me. It's God because it's all true of him. But God the Son comes and models among us. I won't rule you like Gentiles do who get bigger swords, bigger armies, and he knuckles you down. You are subjugated to mighty power. Christ says, this is not the model I want my brothers to be managed by. I want humble servants modeling a way of life, and not dominant lords. Humility is the way we are to walk among each other. And if you're an arrogant, stuck-up person, you are a danger to our fellowship. Because you'll always have to be right. And we don't believe that about you. It's God is the only one that's always right. Humility. You don't get to run over God's people that he paid such a price. He's not waiting for our diatrophies who wanted the preeminence in everything to put the saints of God under their foot. You walk among the saints and where there's believers in an attitude of humility. It wouldn't hurt if you lived in your home that way. Something about humility that is strange is that one grace that the moment you think you've got it, you lost it. Can you imagine? Coming in I got it. What is it? I'm the humblest guy in the church. It just hit. It just hit me. I'm humble. Well, don't publish it on your call card. Pastor Howard, the humblest preacher in town. Uh, don't, don't do it. Your wife won't believe it. I just read something in Newsweek a while back that just really uh, I thought was great. It's in that little section where they're having these one-liner quotes and uh, this man is talking to the judge and he says to him, I am, in, I am too important, I am invaluable to my company to take off time to do jury duty because I am the CEO of my company. And then, and then it says, stated by former CEO. I'm in the, and the company's still going. Someone says, if you want to know how much you'll be missed when you leave, put your thumb in uh, some water, and then just pull it out. And in the vacancy you see there, that's how much you'll be missed. It's just kind of surprises guys, that when they resign their church, I know myself, every time I'm on a vacation, you have a revival. And I come back, I don't even want to ask how it went. Oh, man, this happened. It seemed like God just freed up the place since you've been gone. It's just like, just like heaven is raining on us. It's just, God is coming down. Ah, oh, shut up. You know, I, I want God to do something, but not without me. Do you know what I mean? I want to be in the middle of it. And he said, I've had a church before you landed, and I'll have one after you're gone. It's hard on your ego. I, I had a pastor call me the other day, had three families that were leaving, and uh, had five decisions that morning. Three had decided to quit the church, and two decided he was a bad preacher. <laughs> and and uh, uh, he, he just said, and he said, Man, I said, Pastor, it's hard on your ego, isn't it? I said, welcome to the club. Because people go, people come, some like you, some don't. If you're here on an ego trip, it will be trimmed down to size. If you're here to serve, if you're here to be humble, if you're here to have a ministry to whoever God opens the heart of someone to, then you can make it. But... There's not enough gratification to stay in this. I think you ought to get another job. I would if that's why I was in it. There's more money and you don't have to put up with as much. At least you can be your own boss. Humility is the way we subjectively must walk among each other. And I must say this, without you ever knowing that you're humble, guess what? Other people pick it up before you ever do they'll pick it I had a, a a pastor friend of mine one time worked in this church and Stephen said to me one day he says why is it we cannot stand in others what we love about ourselves he said we can reek with pride that was his favorite word reek I just see him saying it we said, reek with pride but as soon as I see it in you it's obnoxious and I want to straighten you out as I walk away I'm somebody. Oh. We know what spirit you're coming in. We know if you're acting like you're running a union hall meeting, or you're among the brothers that has been saved by grace through faith, through no work of their own. It's God's place. We don't even need a sergeant of arms. The sergeant of arms is the head of the church. And he said, I will kill him who destroys my church. 1 Corinthians 3.17, I've got it memorized. I tell that to people who threaten me. <laughs> Moving right along. Uh, after humility is gentleness. As I've just spoken gently to you. Uh, <laughs> uh, this word's a, a hard word. You see the different trans- meekness, gentleness. It's always a tough word to get a, a, a definitive handle on. But it was used of Moses, the meekest man on the earth. Now, do you think of Moses as a brother Twinkie? Just a pushover? Uh, I don't think so. It was used of Jesus. Come and learn of me, for I am meek and humble. The same Jesus that could drive away the money changers. The same Jesus that could say, I am in the garden when they came to arrest him. And the men fall back because of his effulgent glory. It's a fruit of the Spirit. He produces gentleness. Uh, And uh, have you ever been with a person who said, they're a good person, but they're sure rough. They sure got some rough edges. Uh, They live on the cutting edge, and you always know you've been with them because you're bleeding. (laughs) That's immaturity. Uh, they, They have not grown up yet. The fruit of the Spirit's not there yet. Uh, just you know, just boom, boom, boom. Just rambunctious. We use the bull and the china closet language. they just people are just bouncing off of them. Boom, boom. Yeah, I met him. Yeah, it's in the spirit. Yeah, yeah. I, I've been bombasted. I I've been told off, and I've been told to move, and I've been saying you're not good enough, and you're not in the word. Oh. The only thing they say at the funeral is thank the Lord. He's there instead of here. Oh, don't say that that way. You've got a lot of folks you think of that way. At least I do. Uh, Let's see. Uh, This term gentle, it was used in these ways in different secular uses. It was used of soothing medicine. It was used of a cult that had been broken. Uh, It was used of a soft wind. And a secondary kind of a metaphorical meaning of it was uh, power under control. The coat uh, had been broken. Uh, the medicine was not too much of one thing or the other. It was enough to bring healing and soothing uh, to the patient. Uh, one commentator says it was used of being a courteous person. Considerateness. Willingness to waive one's rights. One that was seeking the common good without being concerned about personal reputation or gain. Uh, Paul said he was as gentle as a nursing mother to the Thessalonians. Uh, Paul told Pastor Timothy, when you deal with people who oppose you, be gentle. Don't be combative. Come back with gentleness. Now you'll be interpreted as a milk toast, but you'll be spiritual. You see, that was one of the hardest things, I think, for my own salvation when I got saved. I think having anger in the church and learning to be gentle with people uh, was hard. and It's hard in the church. Uh, when I was unsaved, I could always cuss if I was angry or hit you. I could, I could do something. And growing up where I did anger, if you were a bunch of guys and it was sports, we got into a lot of fights in sports because tempers would flare and the language would fly off, and you'd hit, or you just, you know, uh, you vent that. Now, uh, I seldom did that when the guy was bigger. <laughs> but if I had a chance, but when I got in the church, I had no place to take anger. I think that's why there's so many angry people in the church. They haven't learned how to vent it without it being destructive or explosive. Uh, it is an emotion that's hard to deal with in the church. Uh... Because it's kind of like what E.V. Hill told his wife. Every time someone knocked at the Parsi's door, he said, smile. Somebody's at the door. That you think you get paid to always carry a role. But he said, in this community, uh, in this community of saints, we have to have a spirit of gentleness, kindness, be easy to wear. You've all said, I like them, but I couldn't be with them for long. Well, God's church, uh, see in the New Testament, they didn't jump churches every three months. They may just have a few churches in Ephesus. They didn't go church shopping. You may got saved, it was in this community of saints. You spend your whole earthly journey there. It was a communal, it was a family relationship. So you had to learn humility, learn to be gentle with one another. And then he, he uh, amplifies it and he goes on, long suffering and that word really is used of holding out a long time with people holding out your temper for a long time Uh, how long is your fuse one minute one hour one day uh, long suffering and it means really in its practical application is to make allowances for other people's exasperating behavior. They bug the daylights out of you and you keep having to put up. And you want to give them a karate chop in Jesus' name. (laughs) And you don't get to. You just have to, I mean, the guy's riding you bad on the job. Uh, They're riding you in the church. They're just kind of one of these people that always get to you, a thorn in the side. And the assignment, they they can't change quickly. You don't know how to change them. So you, in the meantime, you can resent them, uh, get bitter towards them, uh, become seething with anger all the time. Or, brother, by the grace of God, I want to offer you something he's done for me. God suffered long with me. I'm suffering long with you. I'm not enjoying the way you're treating me, but I'm going to bear with you till God changes you. Instead of telling them off, I'm giving you three minutes to change. Some people don't change in three minutes. It takes three years. That's why I told Timothy to preach the word with long suffering. Sometimes I can't tell you how many times we preach to people and it takes them years to change their behavior. And it gets discouraging if you see the results. Sometimes is anybody being changed by the preaching, teaching of the word? Long-suffering, making allowances for people. Uh, It's a fruit of the Spirit, by the way. When you're walking in the Spirit, that characteristic is found in you. Now, he he magnifies this long-suffering by bearing with one another. I thought we were supposed to love one another. But it's the kind of love that enables you to bear one another. There's things in, in relationships that sometimes you just have to bear with. The way you, you view each other's views, uh, metabolisms, uh, morning people, evening people, schedules. Just look at that in your family life, in your home. Everybody, uh, I mean, I know when we used to go to a restaurant to order food. Everybody had a different set of taste buds. We could not agree on menu. I mean, uh, mama would want to go one place and kids always had to have something that had salsa in it. And uh, you know, a lot of stuff, idiosyncrasies, just as things about people that just they just can rub you raw when they don't think just like you, act just like you, do it just like it just you have to bear with them. Put up with it. It's a part of our growing up because nothing's perfect, is it?)
0: Pastor Phil Howard here in our series, God's Design for Life. Getting a clue, an understanding, an idea of just how much God really loves us and the design that he has for your life and mine. This is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. And as we conclude our time together today, we're mindful of the fact that there might be those of you who would enjoy hearing this program again. As always, we have copies available on CD. Simply call or write to us or stop by our website. You can reach us by phone at 855-833-9864. That's 855-833-9864. Or stop by our website, truthfortodayradio.org. As you contact us, please bear in mind that we do continue this radio broadcast here on this station through the generous support Of Truth for Today sustainers, folks just like you. With your dollars as you partner with us financially, we'll provide to you, as our way of saying thanks, a quarterly newsletter, a once a year special gift. Take a break with Pastor Phil, the weekly video devotional. It's all available for you as you partner with us financially. And speaking of, for the last 20 years, Truth for Today has been here on this radio station. As our way of saying thank you for being a part of that ministry for the last 20 years, we would invite you to save the date and join us. June 4th, that's a Saturday, 430 to 730 here at Valley Bible Church in Hercules at the Family Life Center. It's a celebration of God's goodness to the Truth for Today ministry since 1997. I mean, that's almost 20 years, right? What an amazing time we've had growing in grace and we trust you've been blessed by this time together. If so, again, mark it on your calendar and plan on joining us. June 4th, 430 to 730 for Valley Bible Church's Family Life Center Celebration of God's Goodness to the Truth for Today ministry. For more information, give us a call. Our phone number once again is 855-833-9864.